Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhodge from Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Today I have a colleague, uh, Jed Chergenko, um, and he's located out in Minnesota. Um, and he has a fascinating background. Um, he's a couples therapist and an expert, and he's written um, upwards of 20 books. So I'll tell you a little bit about his background. So Jed, thanks so much for coming on today to chat with us about uh, relationships. Roxanne, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, as a therapist, I spent almost 10 years working with foster families primarily, but then also have my incredible family, um, not only uh, my wife, Jenny, but our six kiddos, uh, four biological kids. And then Jenny and I became unexpected foster parents about a year ago. Six so, kids. Wow. What are the age ranges, Jed, that your kids, for your kids? So two 13-year-olds all the way down to three-year-old and all girls. So I am severely outnumbered. And even our cat, believe it or not, is a girl. So, <laughs> so you've learned to accommodate to the, uh, the expectations of what the females around you are needing. So they're probably a good, uh, I would think they're a good insight to uh, females. And when you go out and you coach and you speak, that would give you kind of a lens of, of some of the things that you can share with other males. Absolutely. Well, and I love it. And I wouldn't have this any other way. And so part of my fascination with relationships is one, I just absolutely love the psychology side of things. But two, it's for myself too, because just with a big family and so many kids and the hustle and bustle of life, I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job putting my family first, that my amazing wife, Jenny and I are still making time to connect. And so a lot of it is me wrestling with stuff saying how do i intentionally work this into my day and then to be able to share that and pass that on with to others it's just something i love to do so tell us tell us what's um what made you want to become a couples therapist like some people kind of you know do the traditional route i did the traditional route and you know went right into it when i was 21 did what was your path what made you interested in becoming um a couples therapist yeah, Roxanne, I never thought I would end up with a background in marriage and family therapy. Mm. So after high school, I got involved at a children's camp and started doing summer camp counseling and decided I wanted to become a children's pastor. Mm. Now, I knew very little about relationships. Um, grew up during a time when just within the Christian circles, this whole purity movement was huge. And there was this idea going around, especially in more conservative circles, that dating would lead to premarital sex, which would lead to um, you know, pregnancy, which would just make your whole relationship crumble. Mm -hmm. And about that time, a book came out called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And um, the whole premise of the book was, if the edge of the cliff is here, you know, you don't want to stand close to the edge where you're going to fall off into dating, sex, getting married too early, having kids out of wedlock and just everything crumbling. We need to stand way, way back. Mm -hmm. And the idea was the further back you could stand, the better. Mm -hmm. And so this book says, hey, let's kiss dating goodbye. We're going to do something called courting, which is only going out with somebody if we're ready to get married. And then the whole idea became, well, let's take that even further. Let's have your first kiss be on your wedding day. And the problem with that is I got so tied into this community that I couldn't date if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I remember my junior, senior year of high school asking girls to go to our formal together. And I'm thinking, we'll just hang out. We'll sit by one another. And years later, these girls would tell me, Jed, I wanted to go with you and just hang out and sit next to you and talk to you. And then I got surrounded by other girls saying, no, we don't do that. Mm. And so the backlash was that by the time I did start dating, 
I was clueless. Mm. You know, I just didn't have those relationship building skills, those dating skills to know what I was looking for in a significant other. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't know warning signs that I shouldn't look for. Right. And so when I got married, I thought things were great, but it turned into just a complete disaster, a train wreck pretty Mm -hmm. quick. Mm -hmm. And so that really caused me to go back to school and say, what's going on with me? What am I missing? What am I getting wrong? Because I was a seminary student. Mm -hmm. And so for me, being raised in this evangelical Christian household, I thought, okay, I've got the answers. I know what I'm doing. Right. We're good. And all of a sudden, my whole world was flipped upside down. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to the same seminary that I studied at that happened Mm -hmm. to have two degrees, one in Bible and second in psychology. Mm-hmm. And as I started studying psychology, I realized, wait a minute, I can integrate these key principles with my faith. But I also saw strategies and tools and ideas that I could use myself. Mm-hmm. And then there was kind of that frustration that clicked, this frustration of, oh my goodness, why is this not being taught everywhere? Why did I miss this? Why was mm-hmm. I told to run from relationships and be scared mm-hmm. when everything says yeah, we should run towards those. And so that's really my story of getting excited about psychology mm-hmm. and the tools that I learn myself and pass on to others. Because for me, this is, you know, something I'm excited about, passionate about a job, but it's also a hobby too. I love it. So tell me not having, you know, a divinity background, I'm a strictly, you know, psychology background how did you kind of, I'm going to use the word marry because it seems logical, those two spaces? Because sometimes I've dealt with some very traditional couples and it's very to the book and that's just the way it is. And I have one partner that's evolving out of it that's saying, okay, I get, I get that we are, our faith comes first and those types of things, but we are out of you know, the initial stages of a relationship. We are into the five to 15 year developmental stage of a relationship. And for people that are listening that may not know that is initially, you know, we're on our best behavior. We do everything right. We, we, we listen, we attend, we do all that stuff. But 15 years into it, we're into a different stage where uh, there's, there's different things being asked of in the marriage um, as a system, right? Where you have to really work hard Um, So the best behavior that came naturally because you're trying to impress, I'm going to use the word, is kind of like, oh, did I, oh, did I not tell you I love you today? I'm sure I said that to you last month or whatever. So it's more a developmental kind of stage that couples go through. So tell me your perspective of marrying the element of religion and systems and marital therapy. And where, where did your brain go to kind of um, create that space that informs your practice maybe today? Yeah, Roxanne, I love that question. Um, And it's one that gets me excited because I remember that very first day of sitting in psychology class and our dean was up in the front of the class and he was talking about the different counseling theories. Mm -hmm. I was learning about men like Albert Ellis and William Mm -hmm. Glasser and just some of their key principles. Mm -hmm. And I had come out of seminary not too long with this Masters of Divinity So my mind was just packed with scriptures I had memorized, um, Bible verses. And as he was going through these counseling theories, passage after passage of scripture came to mind. And I'm like, wow, this is really what the Bible teaches. So I'll give you an example. Albert Ellis, um, the father of rational emotive behavioral therapy, REBT. And it's all about changing our thoughts and our mindset. Mm-hmm. He'll use words like stinking thinking and awfulizing <laughs> and catastrophizing. But the Bible has a ton to say about our thoughts. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I don't have to try to marry two conflicting ideas. When it comes to the tools and strategies that Albert Ellis uses, I can find those right in scripture. Now, here was the challenge that I was facing is during my great train wreck, during this relationship disaster, I was going to pastors, ministry leaders, church leaders, people I really respected. And I still respect them to this day. I truly do believe they were doing the best with what they had. But kind of their go-to answers were, 
the spiritual disciplines, things like pray more, read the Bible Mm -hmm. more, Mm -hmm. attend church and trust God for the results. Now I'll tell you, I'm a big believer in the spiritual disciplines and those will grow your faith like nothing else, but they're also not a magic wand. And so I kind of fell into this magical thinking of, man, I'm just going to do more of this, but none of them addressed the issues that needed to be addressed. So the problem Mm -hmm. grew. And so I did more and the problem grew and I did more (laughs) and the problem grew. And by now you probably recognize that I'm talking about this definition of insanity, which is doing more and more of the same thing and expecting different results. Well, if you're doing that, or if you've ever done that, me too, I've been there, I've done that. That's not a lot of fun and it's not a good recipe for relationship success. Yeah, because what I would think, Jed, is I'm just listening to you. I'm thinking of this couple that I've, I've seen over the years and, um, you know, very faith-based. They, you know, had, you know, were spent time, prayed a lot, did all those things. But what became into, into play for them was, you know, and I don't know, you must know about Esther Perel, the, the researcher that talks about safety, safety and security in a relationship. This is the kind of the broad brushes that is an inverse function of, um, you know, desire, right? So she talks a little bit about that, which if you think about it, you know, if you're going to go skydive with somebody today, you're going to have like that adrenaline rush and you're going to have that connection, but it's new, but think of it 25 years down the road and you're like, okay, well, who's got the, who's got the parachute? Did you check that out? I hope you didn't do this again. And you take the same couple <laughs> with this different, ex- with 25 years later, and there'd be a different thing. So what I think of the practical is that what are the emotional needs of that couple based on the age and stage of that relationship and how is, yes, I'm not, belief systems are belief systems. And I always say as couples therapists and family therapists, I'm a, a marriage and family MFT trained couples therapist. It's like, okay, understand the frame, but ultimately understand the needs of who is in front of you. And I would think that that concept that you're talking about, keep, keep doing it doesn't address the practical concerns that might sit right in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think from my faith background, my theology background, it was making that mental kind of pivot from seeing the Bible as a book that told me everything about everything Mm -hmm. and then realizing, okay, wait, this is things that I'm not going to know about my relationship with God. Mm. If this book was missing, Mm But when I'm sick, I go see a doctor and Mm -hmm. most people of faith do. When your relationship is sick, it's the same principle to go see a relationship expert, Mm -hmm. you know, and when your faith is suffering, your faith is sick, it's not working well, you know, that's not when you're going to go see a medical doctor or a marriage and family, that's when you're going to go see a pastor. And so for me, it was realizing that there's some different roles. And I need to reach out and use those versus looking for a one's time wasn't size fits all. And that's something that really helped me. So to really accept people where their mindset is, right? Whatever, and you know that when we, when we train, it's, it's about, you know, recognizing your beliefs, understanding the, the worldview of the person in front of you, the couples. And obviously with couples, we often say, and I'm sure you use this too, Jed, is there's, you're seeing a couple, but there's technically about six people in the room. So how do you kind of quiet that white noise? And what we mean by that is <laughs> there's the couple and then there's their parents on both sides. And then they go, what? What are, what are you talking about? There's six people in the room. Absolutely. Because when I ask you about a belief, um, where, where does that belief come from? And how does that impact the other side, uh, you know, your, your partner's perception of that need? And how did he or she see it? And what was his exposure when he was growing up? And then they go, wow, that is fascinating. So hence why it's important that couples realize that how intricate understanding each other's uh, needs are, because it's not about Jim needs this or Jane needs this. It's just so much more that's inlaid. And um, so with you, when you kind of got the, you know, the different, I'm going to say frame and, and that space, which I think it's a, it's a nice space because you're bringing a breath with uh you know, of divinity, which is belief, you know, uh, in a space that says, look, there is something bigger. And I hope that everybody believes there's something bigger based on whichever, you know, kind of um, space you put it in. 
how did that, how does that inform you today when you deal with couples? How do you kind of, you know, deal with the concerns with that, that trajectory of both? Yeah, you know, that's such a great question. It really depends on the space that I'm operating in. You know, if I'm in a traditional therapy setting, then it's really up to the couple how much they want to bring faith into it. You know, my faith is there. I'm me. Mm. Um, I'm an author, written 20 books. One book I wrote was specifically for kids, and I didn't intend to put my faith into it. Um, but the one of my favorite negative reviews that I've ever gotten essentially said, like, Jed, you write like a middle-class Christian white dude. And I'm like, well, maybe you saw my picture on the back or my author bio or something, but that's me and I'm not going to change that. And so right. there's going to be that aspect that's there and that faith aspect that just comes out. Um, mm -hmm. This is me being me and true and authentic to who I am. Right, right. But these principles are going to work regardless. You know, I see them as timeless foundational principles. You know, one example of that would be the connection principle. Mm -hmm. People are designed to connect. We need relationships. You know, something that I've been learning lately is that our brain, it lights up whenever that relationship is broken, especially the ones who are closest loved ones, just like it does when we feel physical pain. But would you agree with the statement that I think um, we are, we're born into connection? We're carried by our mother. Um, our father is there, right? In you know, to welcome us into the world, hopefully not ideally with everybody. We know that. And, you know, I often say that, you know, when people get into relationships, we're all looking for that bond, but there's this element that I really shouldn't really need my partner the way I do. I don't know if you hear that a lot. Um, you know, I, I want my partner, but I don't want to seem like I'm too dependent on my partner. Is that something that you see couples struggling with? Yeah, and that's a tricky thing to navigate because mm -hmm. we don't want to be too dependent. Right. And it's tough. It would be tough to have somebody who's clingy and needs you all the time and who has no sense of independence. But the other part is we're hardwired for relationships. And when that goes away, you know, it really is like losing an essential need, air, water, shelter, our brain lights up, it goes into panic mode. That's simply the way we're designed. And oftentimes even that fight, flight, or flee mechanism kicks in, mm -hmm. which is why couples do sometimes crazy things when they feel disconnected. Because mm -hmm. they're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. It is, oh my goodness, feeling disconnected hurts so much mm -hmm. that if the way that I'm gonna reconnect with you is to yell at you, scream at you, do something to get your attention, I'm going to do it because I'm in pain. And people right. that I talk to sometimes say that that mental anguish hurts even more than physical pain. They prefer physical pain over that mental anguish of being disconnected. Do you see that same Absol thing? Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I call it, <laughs> I say to my couples, it's like you're having an adult temper tantrum, right? And they go, what? Think about when you're, when you're upset with your partner, how do you draw him or her towards you? And they go, well, I don't know that I do. Well, what do you do to get their attention? Well, I'll distance or I won't return a phone call. Or, you know, if I was expecting a special night and it was nothing, I, you know, I might plan something else and spend more time with the kids or so it, it's interesting because at the end of the day, they're identifying a need, but they're not, the activity or the action gets them further away, potentially from what they want. And I think that's the, I think that's the magic potion that once you get couples to start to recognize, you know, when you don't call home um, after, you know, I've worried for the last month because there's been a lot of snow, um, you know, I get really, really scared. And when I get really scared, it takes me back to a time when there was so much uncertainty and I couldn't sleep or those types of things. When I think it's that skill, Jed, that teaching couples to realize if I can sh let my partner know where, where their action takes me, and it's about me, it's not about them. They are triggering me, but I'm helping them see my internal space. Then they go, wow, me not picking up the phone did that to you? 
Oh, I, I never knew that. Roxanne, and I love what you just did, you know, because I think that's key right there when you said, hey, I didn't hear from you and I'm scared. I wanted to know you're okay. You know, from a guy's perspective, I feel like that would melt most guys' hearts. Mm -hmm. Most men that I know want to be the hero. They mm -hmm. want to be good husbands. They want to feel like their wife wants them and needs them. Mm -hmm. And typically we respond pretty well to things like, I'm scared. Mm. You know, I was worried about you. No, not all guys. No, not all but, guys. <laughs> but certainly it's a lot better than, hey, why weren't you home? Because for a guy that, that immediately takes us to the point of, oh no, she's trying to control me or she's right, trying to force right. me to be here versus, oh my goodness, she's longing for me and reaching for me and wants me around, which is more likely to melt his heart than where were you? Why didn't I see you? So, so much of it is in that language. Absolutely. Because to, you know, I often say that sometimes men will interpret um, a request based on its delivery as a demand versus a request. And like to your point, you just said it. And then the guy starts to feel, oh, here I go. I'm going to be controlled. And, and then he puts up his back and then he goes, I'm not going to be controlled. You're going to tell me what to do. And then it becomes a vicious kind of circle. So I think that that concept, you know, of really teaching, and, and I would love to hear teaching people to get safe enough with each other to share their vulnerabilities um, allows them to, and that takes time. And it's, it's not pretty sometimes <laughs> during sessions, but what it actually does is shows people that, you know, Prior to meeting you as your, my partner, I had a lot of things that happened to me that were less than ideal. And, you know, you married me because you loved me. So it's almost like I need to help you understand how certain things affect me so that you have the option to decide how you're going to um, deal with me differently. Because a lot of people have these needs that they verbalize, but then they don't let the partner know why they're having that need. I love that. Roxanne, can I talk about how I'm learning how to flesh this out in real life? Sure, I would, I, I would love that. And also, I know we talked a little bit. I would love to go back to you and your wife and how you met and some of the things that you started to implement when you start to learn these things that you did. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's going to tie into this just a little bit. Because one of the things that I'm learning is that connection is so important and that misinterpretation happens so easily. And then we can fall into that cycle that you described where I'm hurt and I want to be chased or connected with. I want Jenny to come say, hey, I notice I see something's wrong. So I back off. And she does the same thing. She says, hey, I want Jed to notice that something. So she's backed off. And pretty soon we're in this self-sabotaging mode where mm -hmm. both of us are moving further and further away, waiting for the other one to re-engage. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's worked really well in our relationship is to build a pattern of daily tiny connection habits. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you how this works. This is something that I stumbled onto by accident. I stumbled onto it with my writing. So I wanted to write a book and kept failing for about three years. Mm -hmm. Then I heard this simple phrase, writers write. Next morning I woke up, brewed a pot of coffee, um, poured it, sat down at the kitchen table, began to write my book. Did that day after day after day with every morning, alarm goes off 5 a.m., brew a pot of coffee, sit down at the kitchen table, write my book. And fast forward six years, I'm just getting ready to publish my 26th book. Uh -oh. And then I picked up some of these habit books, which are all the rage. Hmm. And that say the best way to build a new habit is to attach it to an old habit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's why this worked. I stumbled on this by accident, but my routine was through the coffee. And I attached that new habit of now I'm going to sit down and write my book to the morning coffee. And so now got my coffee right here. Whenever that <laughs> coffee pot goes, my brain's going and it's kind of honing in on. You smell the coffee, you're writing. That's it. Oh that's yeah, it. I'm writing up here. <laughs> Now, yeah. about three years into this, Jenny said, Jed, I love that you write, but something that bothers me is once you get in your zone, you're gone. 
mm. and realize, okay, this is starting to, you know, get in the way of our relationship. It's becoming a brick wall or a barrier between us. Mm-hmm. And so I created this new habit. And now first time I see Jenny in the morning, I close down my laptop. She's way more important in my writing. I realize, okay, I've got this new trigger. First time I see her, writing goes down. We're going to go hang out for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, some morning she's in a rush. She doesn't have time to hang out. And it is two seconds of connecting and she's off. And she needs to be, but she's got a lot to do. Other times it's five minutes, 10 minutes. Other day it's half an hour. But the whole point is, it's that nonverbal communication of you're way more important than whatever writing project that I'm working on. Now that's really become a habit that's stuck with us in a lot of areas. Now, when we come back from work, it's that 10 seconds to reconnect. Mm -hmm. When she comes back from the grocery store, it's that 10, 20 seconds to reconnect. But whenever one of us is away, there's always that reconnection moment when we come back together. Mm-hmm. And it just feels weird if that doesn't happen. I love, I love that you break it down into such um, small tidbits. And I often, you know, when couples come and, you know, oftentimes let's, let's, um, let's kind of put it on the table there. Um, it's often because there's a lack of intimacy, right? So, you know, they're getting to the point where they're like, well, you were not being intimate. We got to get some help. Right. And, you know, one person often wants, it's generally the man and I'm not being stereotypical. So I hope you don't think I am where it's like, well, if we would just get intimate, then we would be better. And the wife says, you know, if we would just like do these things to make me feel connected, we would be intimate. So it's kind of like, who's going to win. And of course the therapist is supposed to take the perspective of, all right, I'll just tell Jed what to do and you know, it'll be fine. And then I, I, I back them off from the outcome to have them recognize, you know, that when was the last time you two just connected? And they go, what, what do you mean? Well, we have kids and we have jobs and we have chores. And, and I, I go, yeah, 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 I know that. But when was the last time? And then they say, well, what do you mean? And I go, okay, well, just kind of, you know, did something or spent some time or had a conversation where you walked away and you think, oh, I like that guy. Or I like that girl. Mm. And then they go, well, I can't remember when. And I go, that, because oftentimes they want to go right into the problem and they don't want to back up and look. I, 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 my description is let's look at an aerial shot of what's really going on. We'll get there. We'll get there in the end, but we need to back off. And then they kind of go, oh, okay. But, you know, it's, it's oftentimes where people think you're going to, ju- I'm just going to have, we're just going to have sex and everything's going to be better. But that, those elements of, attachment, which we know all about attachment theory, which is, I feel so connected. I feel like I am so valuable in that person's eyes that all that other stuff falls into place. But I think a lot of couples get away from the small incremental things that they should be doing. Yeah. So that whole idea that intimacy doesn't begin in the bedroom. Absolutely. But guess what? They want to take you there. I'm like, okay, hold up hold up. They go, no, 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 you have to hear what he did. And then she, and then you're like, oh, okay. So and I will say to them, how long would you like me to listen to this? Um, because I'm, is this what you do at home? Yeah, that's what happens. Okay. Well, no problem. I'm not going to buy into what you're trying to sell me right now. And they look at me and go, oh, I go, I want to listen, but remember I'm listening and pretend I'm painting a picture in my mind and I'm going to try to guide you to, to, to reconnection. And then, then they start to kind of slow down versus get into the same um, stance. So you're seeing the same kinds of things in your, yeah, you know, and there's a tension there. I love this idea of a reset button. Mm-hmm. I would say those tiny connection moments throughout the day are almost like a reset button. And I yeah. grew up in the 1980s with the original Nintendo <laughs> entertainment systems. <laughs> awesome. So Super Mario. And yeah. what I love about those games is you're getting a bad game. You just reach over, you hit that reset button and you start again. Yeah. Yeah. And so for us, those mini connection points throughout the day are just that reset button of we're connected. And here's what I've learned is Jenny and I can have something that we don't agree on. And maybe it's an ongoing issue. And as you know, all the research says, man, couples are going to get stuck with issues. Like if you've got an ongoing 
can't solve it problem in your relationship, huge congratulations. You are normal like the rest of us. <laughs> and yes. researcher John Gottman would say those are just rooted in our personalities, our upbringing, our fundamental differences. And mm. we can argue about those day and night, but yes. chances are your loved one's not going to change. Big question is, is are you going to let that break the connection? Or are you going to say, hey, we disagree about this over here? But reset, we're coming together right now to connect because mm -hmm. we love each other, we care about each other, we enjoy spending time together. And that was something that Jenny and I had to learn is, you know, we can still have fun going on a walk together, playing a game together, mm -hmm. chatting about our day. Even if we're not 100% on this issue over here yet, we're gonna take a break from that problem, reset, come together as a couple, and then move on. And maybe that problem comes up again and we've got to talk about it. But again, we're going back to that reset button. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's pivot a bit and talk about um, two things. I'd like to, you know, we know that the time that we're in that a lot of people are home and we're, we're at home for the, in, um, you know, unforeseeable future. Um, and these touch points are important, Jed. I agree with you completely as, we, you, as you continually take that pulse of where we need to go. But sometimes, and I don't know if you, there's unresolved issues, right? Um, you know, that flare up, right? So I'm going to assume people at home that haven't learned some of the things we're talking about, you know, they're like little bombs going off, right? They're trying to manage all the stressors of the uncertainty that we're in. Um, you have all your kids at home and then you, you know, if both partners are working from home still, there's a lot of tension under one roof. So let's talk a little bit about, first of all, what do you do when there is unresolved bigger issues and how do you kind of work into that to, to getting to a point where, how do you work with the unresolved with kind of the touch points to make change? Such a big question because there are unresolved big issues, serious issues that need to be addressed. And where really, I would say outside help is almost needed, you know, ongoing affairs, um, obviously any type of violence in the relationship, you know, those are big issues where it's gonna be tough to solve those alone. Mm -hmm. Now there's also, smaller issues, where it really depends on what you want to do with those issues and um, how long you want to make them an issue. I'm a huge believer in choice theory, which really comes down to you and I always have a choice. And one of my favorite stories that I heard was about a pastor, young pastor, newly married, super in love with his wife. The relationship was going great. And then a couple days after the honeymoon, he got up, woke up groggily, headed over to the bathroom, bam, banged his shin against the open dresser drawer that his new wife left open. <laughs> Howled in pain, does those shin bruises hurt? You know, she promised never going to do it again. And that lasted about a week, banged his shin again, again, howled in pain, this time lit into his wife a little bit. And she, again, never going to do it again, but old habits die hard. A couple weeks later, same thing. And so pretty soon, like the dresser drawers were ruining their relationship. I said, the last time I banged my shin, I got so mad. I took that dresser drawer. I slammed it shut. And then I thought to myself two things. One, I love my wife. And it is stupid to let a dresser drawer ruin our relationship. <laughs> and two, I just slammed that door shut. And I solved my own problem. And he said, from now on, dresser drawers are my responsibility, not hers. Mm -hmm. I love my wife. First thing in the morning, I'm going to look and see if a drawer is open. If it is, I'm going to say, I love my wife and close it. He said, those drawers were never an issue. So it's really up to us. Perspective you know, that or move the dresser drawer or, you know, lots of different ways to kind of slice it and dice it to figure out how big is this issue? Um, you know, you're so right when you say that, that's a, that's an awesome, um, symbolism to it, but it's, it's so true because small things become big things. If you let them, you know, kind of gain in, in, in momentum. Yeah. Can I share my own personal dresser door story with sure, you? Sure. Sure. 
So for me, it was working with a lot of families and even doing some domestic violence groups where I'm teaching deep breathing, mm-hmm. you know, just a calmer body down, slower body down. Mm-hmm. And so Jenny would come to me and tell me bad news and I would, <laughs> right? Because I'm sitting here, I'm using the tools that I'm teaching people. Mm-hmm. But Jenny's mind went to Jed sighing at me. I'm letting them down. Mm-hmm. And so I started with this, oh no, honey, it's not about you. I just, yeah, I do this during the day. But last time I did it, I just saw her face drop. Mm-hmm. I realized it doesn't matter how many times I tell her this isn't about you. She's taking it personally and I can't control that. I can't change that, but I can't knock off my size. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'll still occasionally do it. And if I see her face drop, it is, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm working on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's something that I can control. So I really like this idea of, you know, in business, I'll call it controlling the controllables. I've heard here in Minnesota, the um, high performance coach from the Minnesota Vikings uses the word dominate the controllables. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for me, I love this idea of we always have a choice, but it's that mm-hmm. same principle of honing in on what we can control and then letting the other stuff go. And for a lot of relationships, that key principle can make a huge difference. So that concept in the time then, let's pivot into the time. And we really feel, how many of us feel like we don't have much control. We have, over the global things that are happening, we don't have any control, but we have control over certain things. So let's talk to couples that are home, that are feeling out of control potentially. Let's, let's talk to them about the dresser drawer kind of concept, about what kind of things they can control and what kind of things they can start to implement maybe just to be able to um, make the best of this time. I, we're not negating that there may be bigger issues, but you know, let's, let's kind of start with the trajectory of the, it's smaller issues that maybe are going to be cumulative because of the time. So what kind of things would you kind of say to couples of, out there that are saying, oh my goodness, <laughs> Um, you know, this is a tough time. What kind of things with your 20 books and all the things that you've written about, what are some basic things that you would tell them to reflect on or some things that they can actually start doing? Yeah, absolutely. So about a month ago, a friend challenged me to write down just some of the most powerful relationship statements. I, I know I wrote down 15 of them. And one of my favorites says you can't make your spouse connect, but you can courageously reach out. And reaching is a win, regardless of how your loved one responds. Mm, And so I think for us, it's that pivot in thinking from Mm. when I reach out, my my spouse has to accept that, to if I reach, that's a win. Mm -hmm. If I go to connect with Jenny and she's just not there yet, I've got to see that as a yes, I did my job. I reached Mm. out. Now, I know Jenny well enough to know that if she's not ready, typically she's going to walk away and feel bad about two minutes later and come back and be ready to connect. And the same thing with me. There's times where I've turned down her reaching for me, which I don't want to do. I want to be the the husband who always reaches back, but I blow it too. (laughs) But typically within two to three minutes, I'm like, oh man, Jenny just reached out. And I push that away. What am I thinking? Mm. And so one thing that I've noticed is that with those regular connection points, when those don't happen, and when you turn your loved one away, it just feels weird. Pretty soon that guilt comes over and it's like, what are you doing? And so I would say just reframing. Now for couples who aren't used to reaching and reaching back, it might be a couple days of reaching out I think it's just doing that mental pivot of, yes, I'm going to reach and I did it. And that's a win. I'm going to do it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because eventually that reconnection is going to happen. That's how our brains are wired. Because it's what you're asking for. You may not be doing it. Maybe people that don't have the skills that say that you and Jenny do people you're wanting that. We're all wanting that connection with our partner. You're just maybe not knowing the most effective way to elicit the response you're looking for. I'd like you to hug me. 
or, you know, but to say, I'd like a hug. I haven't been hugged today. I really miss when you hug me. It oh, I love me, that. You know, I'm, it, I'm, I, it makes me feel so special when you hug me uh, versus, well, I haven't been hugged today is different from, I love it when you hug me. I feel so special. So again, delivery of uh, some of the, what your wants are and to try to go, I often say that as, as mammals, ideally we want to lean together, right? But when we get into that stance, we, you know, one, one person leans away and generally one other person brings them back. But if you're both kind of leaning away, you know, it's, it's the other person's responsibility that recognizes, hey, she's doing again and she's leaning away or he's leaning away. Whoever recognizes it, it's their, I say it's your duty in your relationship to call it. Love that. Well, and there's playful ways to do that. Like, yeah. I love it when you hug me and a smile and then a walk away. Because mm -hmm. then your loved one has to figure out, okay, what on earth do I do with this? Right, right. And it almost throws everything off a little bit. And do they come track you down and hug you? Maybe. Yeah. But I can almost guarantee they're thinking throughout the day of, what do I do with that? And then you walk by again and, yeah, I really love it when you hold my hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe at some point they get so frustrated that they yell out, why aren't you hugging me? Why aren't you, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then course. it's just like, oh, I was just waiting for you to ask back to, you know, or something <laughs> playful where it almost turns into a, a game and a joke. And if you can get those going, humor can be powerful. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk to the couples at home. Um, that how are they going to get through this time? Even if it's a good relationship, it's a, it's, we're stuck. I, and I, I say the word stuck. I could think it depends on the way you look at it. You're in the home, you're running, trying to run lives and jobs in a home potentially. So what kind of things would you suggest for people just to, to look at this as, as an opportunity, um, but also to build skill, even if it's a small skill, to get through this time, because this, these will be things that you can carry forward with you. And yeah. if with time you need help, you can obviously get the help. But what, what kind of things would you suggest? Well, I love that word opportunity and skills. And hopefully you can still hear me. I just saw something pop up that says my internet yeah. connection is unstable because I'm right with all of these parents. I've got six kiddos <laughs> up at home, all on the internet, all so doing now, school. Now you can sigh and I won't say anything about it. <laughs> But this is, this is real life, you know, Absolutely. My amazing well, wife, you're, Jenny, you're living she's it, up there so. working. Yeah, of course. Of course. So you're, you're the best person to give this advice right now, Jed. Yeah. And so it really is, I would say extending that extra grace mm -hmm. is here's something that I teach every year in psychology It's called the diathesis stress model of mental illness. And basically it says this, it says, as our stress level goes up, we're going to become more susceptible to signs and symptoms of mental illness. Yeah. Some of us have great strong genes and it takes a lot of stress before that mm -hmm. pops up. Yeah. Some of us, it just takes a little bit of stress, but I think it's just being aware that, man, everybody is on edge. This is new stress for all of us. In fact, our cat, we look and we see our cat stressed and- <laughs> Oh no. Can't believe that I'm sharing this on a podcast, but our cat's peeing on the furniture. And I'm like, you never do this. Yeah. And so I looked up online and it says, oh, well, cats will do this when they're stressed. Yes. And I think just everybody is feeling this, hey, things are different. Mm -hmm. They're not how they should be. And so keeping that mindset, that frame of, man, we're going to get snappy with each other. That's mm -hmm. just going to happen. And when Jenny snaps up, it's not necessarily me. And I get snappier. I'd like to think that I don't, <laughs> but I do. We're closer together. We're in closer proximity. And yeah. so it's just getting in that spot of, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not about, to, and moving on quickly. And if both of you can get in that mindset of, of course, we're going to get more frustrated with each other. That's normal. We're just going to get over it quicker too, because we need to reconnect quicker you know, our biggest coping skill, our biggest stress relieving mechanism, I truly believe are relationships. Mm -hmm. And right now, 
we really can't go out to other relationships. So we need each other more than ever. So finding ways to stay connected. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think, I, I think this is what I would say to couples right now. Sit down and talk about it and have a realistic conversation about what it's going to look like and think mm-hmm. about how you're going to have those touch points and how, and then when you really just need the time, maybe have that keyword to say, it's my time. You take the kids or, um, you know, I'm going to go lock myself in the, you know, in this, in the study and I'm going to take an hour. Can you help out? And I'm going to do the same for you. So I think having an overall talk about the realities and say, look, we're going to do the best we can. And sometimes we're not going to come up very good with it. (laughs) Um, But let's just agree that we're both on the same team, you know, for our relationship and for our family. Because I think the more that you do the we right now, um, that's going to help people through this. And they're going to learn a lot about, like you said, their mental well-being, um, stressors, a lot more about your kids than me because you wouldn't have been talking and being in the space with your kids as much, all those things. What are their fears? What are your fears? What's your partner's fears? And all those things, you know, is, is a bonding element. I think having that kind of conversation um, because reality is we all, there's a pervasive element um, that exists out there, but we have control over what we can do in our homes. So it's that deciding beforehand and that's yeah. powerful. That conscious decision-making to say, you're important, you know, I love you. Um, and, and then, of course, the benefit, as you know, as a, as a couples therapist and myself as a family therapist, that your kids are going to take the lead from you. Absolutely. So the stronger you are, and even if they know you're having tough times, they're, they're, they're looking for that guidance and they're looking for even more of that safety, I would think, at this point, too. I love what you just said. What a great opportunity to teach our kids about relationships. Yeah. And, that and that piece it's all, I grew up missing. Yeah. Like you're not, you're, it's not going to be all rosy and it's not all, we're always not going to say the right things or do the right things, but we have the capacity to repair and, you know, look at maybe this opportunity, which unfortunately will, there will be lots of opportunity for it to be done less than perfect at times, but that you could show your children or model for them that in fact, yeah, mom and dad have differences. And yeah, sometimes we may not like each other in that moment, but we can show that we can, we can say, I'm sorry, or we can do a kind act, or we can make the favorite cup of tea or that, um, give them that space so that we see the kindness that it is involved in repair, which is really what long-term marriages are about. Well, you hit the nail on the head. That's what I want to pass on to my girls is, hey, mom and I, we can disagree. We can get mad and frustrated, but then... 20 minutes later, or worst case scenario, end of the day, we're coming back to reconnect. And what a great thing to model for our kids, just what a healthy relationship looks like. Right. Versus kind of leaning away from each other, right? Yeah. I mean, you may initially lead away, lean away. Um, and the, you know, once they realize that there's the coming back, that's where they, I think the biggest lesson is I, I'm so sorry, or I'm sorry, I didn't, I slighted you there, or I didn't say it the right way or whatever. I didn't mean to um, forgive me. What could I do instead the next time? And I think the more that as parents, we model this, you know, to our children or to our partners, even if our partner doesn't have the skill, eventually after a while they go, Oh, okay. That's, that made me feel better. So maybe I can try it. Um, And then with practice come, you know, the skill gets a little bit, a little bit easier. So tell us about your books and metaphors. Oh, absolutely. I can tell. I love that um, draw, you know, um, and uh, metaphor that you use. And I think I will remember that now for so long because it, it really, that picture in your mind really kind of takes you back to the, to the, the, the lesson in that story. Awesome. Awesome. Can I do one more and then sure, sure, absolutely. I'll keep it short, but oh, no, what we, you... have, we have time. You, you just tell the story because I want it in its full entirety. Love it. Well, what you just described, I use the metaphor connect like Velcro. This Velcro connects, disconnects, and its magic is it's always there to reconnect again. Mm. And of course, when I was in third grade and wore those Velcro shoes <laughs> and just sat there for hours connecting and disconnecting the Velcro, probably much to the dismay of my teacher, you know, that wears out and it stretches out. And so here's the magic of Velcro. One end has hundreds of tiny loops, other end has hundreds of tiny hooks. 
and over time those stretch out so it's almost like they reach for each other and man a good healthy relationship is just like worn velcro you connect you disconnect and you're right there reaching for each other again I and, love that. Uh, That's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to use that, but I will, I will uh, make sure that I tell everybody where I got it from Jed, because that's, I love that because I think that gives, that gives hope amidst the stats that we see with relationships. Absolutely. So Roxanne, if people want to find me, I am at coffeeshopconversations.com. Love psychology, love diving into theology, but really trying to do it all in just a coffee shop casual conversation. And so coffeeshopconversations.com, it's got a link to my Amazon page, um, all my books, my emails up there if anybody wants to further connect. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. Well, this has been an awesome conversation. I think you and I could probably talk a lot about this with, with uh, um, and I, I think, you know, as couples therapists, it's really about, um, you know, we, we, we can look at systems. And I think especially in this space that we're in is, is to really look at how people can thrive through uncertainty and connect, right? So whether it's two people or in your case, eight people, Jed, which, um, you know, that you, it shows you that you really can look at what is my role in, what, in getting what I need, but also to really start to flip it back and say, I know what I'm thinking and feeling, but really the question becomes, do I know whoever's sitting across from me, how are they thinking and feeling? And I, I, I always call it as I say to people, what is that person sitting across from you? What is their internal landscape? And if you can't tell me what that person's landscape is, then I say to them, I, I, I task them to say, go find out a bit more. And that's, you know, the, the thing that I'm learning from, that you've reinforced, the touch points, you know, the, the little things that you, you know, the more that you have those touch points, it's like Gottman talks about, Gottman is one of the most famous researchers around relationships. And he, is it a five to one um, connection? Um, you know, do five things to connect, you know, connect, 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 and then ask. Because if you ask without connecting, the odds are more than likely your request will not be received in a way that you want to come back at you. And he, you know, so what I would say is um, through this time for everyone, just recognize we'll all get through this. We'll be fine. We're going to learn a lot of things and we're going we're, we're gonna to thrive through this at some point, but you have the capacity to do that today. So to enjoy and relish your relationships, Jed, um, it was, I feel like I virtually met your family, even though I didn't. So take care of your family uh, through this time. And I'm sure our paths will cross again. So this is Roxanne Durhodge. If you're needing anything uh, related to mental health and well-being, I also have a course on relationships. If you're wanting to learn more about how to enhance your relationships, you just go to RoxanneDurhodge.com and there's a link there. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit RoxanneDurhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.